Here we go, another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. There's a pretty good dose of precipitation over a lot of the area. We've had a couple of uh, of uh, track meets that have been drowned out today, and we're hoping maybe to see some baseball before the day is out for a lot of areas of state, Lincoln, who have not seen rain yet. And, in fact, we're going to go uh, to find a surprise here in uh, central Nebraska. You have seen no rain yet there, have you, Susan? Not a single drop. So, surprise, no rain. Guys are out working in the field. Many say they're going to work ahead. I talked to one producer who said he's working ahead, trying to, to beat any sort of precipitation that might be coming their way. But everybody said they definitely would welcome it. It's, it's a little dusty here. Yeah, well, it's coming. I can almost assure you of that. It'll be spreading into uh, much of eastern Nebraska and probably stay for a little while. This is the midday program on the Rural Radio Network and the Roundtable here. Susan with a little bit about what's going on across ag land here. And the first one is uh, uh, kind of, a, I don't know if it's surprising, but a veto comes from the governor. It did in regards to the veto of the prairie dog legislation. Ansley Mick will join Shaley Peters as she talks more about that at 1219. Then at 1245, we'll head to Washington, D.C. Bryce Duskid is there. The chief ag negotiator for the Office of U.S. Trade Representative is working to calm the waters on ag trade, per se. So we're going to hear more from Greg Dowd about China and NAFTA. And if you do know, NAFTA, they're saying they'd like to have things finished by next week. We're all holding our breath, waiting to find out if it happens. And earlier this morning, after he spoke to farm broadcasters in D.C., Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue met before the Senate Ag Committee for a hearing on the status of rural America. So we'll get more about that at 117. All right. Sonny Perdue, always a very, very entertaining speaker. Thank you very much, Susan. We'll check in with the Ag Department a little bit later. Sports with Jason Jorgensen. If it doesn't rain, Nebraska and Creighton will try to play baseball tonight in Lincoln. Do we see the percentages on that one yet? 50-50? Obviously, at uh, best. I'd say it probably doesn't happen, but who knows? Okay. We'll see. That's up to Mother Nature. We yes, will preview it, it anyway. Also, Sports Illustrated has come out with the top 100 prospects of kids coming out of college or Europeans with the NBA draft around the corner. And the three Huskers who are draft eligible, who are testing the waters a little bit, they haven't made the top 100. And keep in mind that usually 60 players go in the draft. So maybe that means that they will return to play for the Huskers next year. Now, of course, they could elect to go overseas and play or sign as a free agent, but that might be a promising sign for Nebraska basketball. We will tell you more about that. Also coming up in sports, we'll touch on what took place in the NBA playoffs last night. Tough night in the Twin Cities for the Timberwolves as they were right with Houston until Houston went off and scored 50 points in the third quarter. Oh my, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty tough uh, uh, bar to clear, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's... Uh, that's getting after it. Yeah, it and, and the Rockets won. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> in spite of it all. So, uh, we'll touch on all that coming yeah, up in sports. Okay. Very good. Thanks. And uh, Bob Brogan has business stocks down a little bit. Huh, stocks are giving up an early gain, and uh, the reasons there could be numerous. Uh, meanwhile, there's some good things in there. Uh, Caterpillar, their uh, first quarter profit has surged. Um, also, some other things, American consumers are seeing their confidence rebound in April to uh, to a high level. So those are a couple of things that we're keeping an eye on. Thank you, Bob. And stay tuned. It's Midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
Paul Perkins steps in here with a look at all that precipitation crossing central Nebraska. And it's brought to you today in our ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. Yes, uh, the leading edge of that rain currently from about Albion. Then Grand Island kind of gets carved out and is in a dry slot of this rain. But then it kind of curves back to Kearney, then back towards Hastings, Red Cloud, and Smith Center. The leading edge of this rain as it continues to move towards east. Looks like some heavy thunderstorm activity to the south of Lexington in between Cambridge and Holdridge right now down to about Alma. Uh, otherwise, some moderate sh- uh, shower and thunderstorm activity probably from a Cook just to the northeast of Goodland. Otherwise, most of us just enjoying some light, slow soaking rains across the area. Pretty nice soaker. The trailing edge of that we see is probably cleared Ogallala by now, so it's on its way east. Exactly, yeah, about O'Neill to North Platte to Imperial on the trailing edge of that rain. And in advance of it, temperatures warming nicely into eastern Nebraska, some 60s and low 70s. Beatrice right now sitting at a temperature of 71, but that compares where it's been falling with rain into the low 40s from about the... Carney uh, area and points off towards the west. Light rain will continue to be widespread today as an area of low pressure and a Pacific cold front track towards the east. It's a Pacific cold front, so not a whole lot of cold air associated with it like you would see with an Arctic front. Most of the rain totals with this system expected to range from a quarter to a half inch, but don't be surprised if you see some localized amounts that are higher where we are seeing some thunderstorm activity. As some drier air mixes in this evening, there could be a break in the rain, especially over western areas. There should be another increase in rain activity in the central and east late tonight as that low starts to track into central Nebraska. In case you're wondering about the Husker baseball game right now, they've got the forecast for the hourly forecast in Lincoln at 50%, so it could go either way. Rain chances linger through most of tomorrow morning and possible into the early afternoon tomorrow before that low moves far enough south to allow some clearing. Very light rain possible Thursday with a quick-moving cold front. Otherwise, spring makes a nice big return on Friday into the weekend as the ridge of high pressure moves over the plains, expecting to see highs in the 70s and even 80s. The only downside is that south winds will be quite breezy, especially on Sunday, but at least it'll be a warm breeze. For the long-term outlook, uh, we are looking at also, by the way, of a round or two of thunderstorms possible by Sunday night into early next week as an area of low pressure starts to approach and that ridge of high pressure breaks down. Now, for the long-term outlook, Nebraska temperatures start warmer than normal early next week and trend seasonal late next week through May 7th. Kansas temperatures look to be warmer than normal the entire time from Sunday through May 7th. Our precipitation forecast for Nebraska and Kansas starting out drier than normal early next week with that high-pressure ridge overhead, but near-normal precipitation is the forecast later next week through May 7th. Soil temperatures continue to warm. The coolest readings at 7 this morning and 4 inches down found in the Panhandle and a large part of eastern Nebraska to the north of I-80 where soil temperatures were in the low 40s. Most other locations in Nebraska and Kansas with soil temperatures in the mid to upper 40s, low 50s found in extreme southern Kansas. Weather factors grabbing market trade attention include another chance for light rain in the southern plains and improving conditions for the Midwest. A small disturbance tracking across the plains south and east will deliver some additional showers. Today's rain will help improve soil moisture in western areas of the southern plains, but more rain is needed to end the drought. Despite recent showers this weekend in the southern plains, topsoil moisture rated at least one half very short to short in Texas, Colorado, and Oklahoma. Seasonably mild conditions in the Midwest are helping with soil warming and field work. 
That's good news since corn planting at least 10 percentage points behind the average base in Iowa and Minnesota. Warm air will gradually shift from the western U.S. and encompass much of the plains and the Midwest by the weekend. In central China, moderate to heavy rain this last weekend fell in key growing areas. That's going to support favorable development of winter wheat and improve the soil moisture for future plantings of corn and soybeans for them. Well, a little bit of precipitation will go a long way toward making people feel a lot better about planting, I think. You betcha. Yeah, get those pennies from heaven and get that moisture (laughs) in the ground. (laughs) Pennies and dollars. Uh You got it. And we remind you that our ag weather is brought to you by Kuhlman Repair, your Yankee dealer. Congratulations uh, uh, to everybody who is benefiting from (laughs) this bounty. And we hope to bring you more. As we go along through the rest of the way, when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Governor Ricketts issues veto to protect ranchers. I'm Shaley Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a midday look at ag news. Yesterday, Governor Pete Ricketts vetoed LB449, which proposed repealing the Black-Tailed Prairie Dog Management Act. LB449 was introduced by State Senator Ernie Chambers of Omaha and opposed by agriculture groups, sportsmen, and local officials. The bill was passed by Legislature 261310. This legislation repeals the authority of county to prevent the spread of prairie dogs when an individual landowner refuses to implement effective control measures on his property, said Governor Ricketts. My primary concern with LB449 is that it fails to protect the individual property rights of those landowners who are detrimentally harmed by a neighbor's inaction. This bill has been represented to be a landowner protection bill. However, repeal of these statutes would actually infringe on the property rights of responsible landowners. The Black-Tailed Prairie Dog Management Act passed in 2012 gives county governments the authority to manage prairie dog populations across Nebraska. The bill empowered counties to manage invasive prairie dog populations. Prairie dog populations create expansive tunnel systems which can destroy farm and ranch land, herd animals, and lower property values if left unmanaged. And soybean planting is on average pace nationwide, but corn planting remains well behind average. In the week ended April 22nd, according to USDA's National Ag Statistics Service weekly crop progress report that came out yesterday afternoon, soybeans are 2% planted compared to 5% last year and 2% on average. Corn planting is 5% complete compared to 3% last week, 15% last year, and a 15% average. Winter wheat is 13% headed compared to 9% last week and 30% last year and a 19% average when our wheat condition improved slightly to 6% excellent compared to the 5% of last week. You can find the full crop progress broken down by state by visiting ruralradio.com. And livestock producers who lost animals in the Central Plains wildfires may qualify for the USDA Farm Service Agency's Livestock Indemnity Program, or LIP. An Oklahoma State University Extension report says the LIP program provides assistance to producers who've experienced abnormal livestock deaths due to a number of different conditions ranging from adverse weather, certain disease outbreaks, or animals reintroduced into the environment by the government. The wildfires in northwestern Oklahoma more than qualify as an adverse weather-related loss. LIP payments are made by calculating 75% of the fair market value for the affected livestock as determined by the Commodity Credit Corporation. There are exceptions to which animals are covered on different operations, and producers should check with their local FSA offices for more information. 
And negotiators from Mexico, the U.S., and Canada are still pushing hard to get a comprehensive new North American free trade agreement in place. Negotiators from the three NAFTA countries have been meeting regularly in recent weeks, hoping for breakthroughs on some of the toughest issues yet to deal with. Those remaining issues include auto rules of origin, labor, and dispute settlement mechanisms. We are certainly in a more intense period of negotiations and are making good progress, says Canadian Foreign Minister Christia Freeland. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Light Heiser appeared confident in recent meetings with administration officials in Congress that he will be able to reach a preliminary NAFTA agreement in the next couple of weeks. The goal would then be to have a preliminary agreement in place by May 4th. U.S. officials have set a goal of congressional approval before the lawmakers head home for December holidays on December 13th. Mexico's own legislative session ends on August 31st, and any renegotiated deal would have to be passed before then. That's a quick look at your Midday Ag News. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Governor Ricketts has issued a veto on LB449 to help protect ranchers. I am Shaley Peters. Joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Visiting with us today about that is Ansley Mick. She is Director of State Governmental Relations with the Nebraska Farm Bureau. And Ansley, let's first start off by talking about what exactly LB449 is and why maybe it was introduced. Sure. So the Black-Tailed Prairie Dog Management Act was passed by the legislature a number of years ago, and it's an act that allows counties to carry out a program to manage black-tailed prairie dogs. And LB449, which was introduced last year by Senator Ernie Chambers, would repeal that act. And that passed the legislature this session. And so this has been vetoed. And talk about a little bit maybe of what the implications would have been, why this is a big deal to ag communities and others that it did get vetoed. So we very much, uh, Nebraska Farm Bureau, and I know a number of livestock groups um, supported the veto. We opposed the bill passing the legislature. We very much appreciate the governor uh, vetoing it. The black-tailed prairie dog um, understands that they compete um, with cattle for things like forage, they also um, tend to injure livestock um, when they step in their burrows. Um, they're also very resilient. Um, so when you manage the property, when it could threaten livestock, um, they tend to repopulate very easily. And we have um, scientific sources um, from, you know, for instance, Colorado State University to back that up. Where does it go from here then? The governor sends it back to legislature. And what can we expect with this moving forward then? Yeah, the governor sends it back to the legislature without his signature, and I'm sure Senator Chambers, um, he's um, you know made this a uh, priority for a lot of years. Um, I know for us it'll be a priority to once again um, you know continue to allow this act to be implemented in counties where it's needed. Um, continue to allow landowners to manage prairie dogs um, in a really responsible way, and sometimes in coordination with the counties if necessary. Um, even if there needs to be updates to this act, um, you know, we're, we're willing to talk about that, but an outright repeal to us was unacceptable. Um, we also are, it's our understanding, um, that there's an effort underway to designate the black-tailed prairie dog as a tier two species, um, on a list that's developed by the Natural Legacy Project, the Nebraska Natural Legacy Project. So, you know, there's a number of efforts underway. Um, to deal with the black-tailed prairie dog population. And we just have to continue monitoring the situation and stay on top of it, um, understanding that the repeal of this will probably be introduced again. 
All right. Anything additionally, Ansley, while I've got you here on the line today? I know I mentioned ahead of time this is not one that has necessarily been in the spotlight, but had it just been passed, could have definitely had some implications for our ranchers and ag community. Yeah, I think that's the biggest message, and I think um, that's one of the most important aspects of this veto is it sends a message to the legislature and also, um, you know, backers of this bill that the ag, um, you know, ag industry, this is a priority for us. This isn't something, it, it doesn't seem, you know, it seems almost, I know folks kind of laugh at some of these things when you talk about managing prairie dogs, but it's not a joke, and these aren't, um, you know, friendly domestic critters. Um, they're certainly native species in Nebraska, and we appreciate that and we respect that. Um, but I think there needs to be some acknowledgement that they are overpopulated in some areas and they threaten um, ranch land especially. Thanks so much, Ansley Mick with the Nebraska Farm Bureau discussing the governor's veto of LB449. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network and time to check sports. Here's Jason Jorgen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, then you hope some home cooking can help turn around a season that's gone south. Nebraska is scheduled to start a seven-game homestand tonight, weather permitting against Creighton. Head coach Darren Erstad feels this could be a key stretch for the Big Red. Yeah, I mean, you start getting going and things get rolling and... You feel like you're shortchanged a little bit with a couple games being missed in conference, but uh, yeah, we are where we are, and uh, you know we got a week here to maybe iron some things out and hopefully make a run here in the next few weeks. Erstad made his comments last night on the Husker Sports Network. Nebraska went just one and two against Rutgers last weekend. Now they had lost earlier this year to Creighton three to one back in late March. The Blue Jays are having a nice year. They are twenty three and eleven. Once again, first pitch tonight is scheduled for seven thirty, weather permitting. None of Nebraska's three basketball draft entries makes SI's top 100 draft board. Keep in mind the draft is 60 players deep. The NBA's early entry deadline passed back on April 22nd. Now the draft lottery is in mid-May in Chicago, followed immediately by the draft combine. Now underclassmen who have not hired agents and retain their amateur status have until the NCAA's May 30th deadline to announce if they're returning to school or not. On that subject, North Carolina junior Luke May has declared for the draft, but he's not hiring an agent. He was a third-team Associated Press All-American last year after averaging 17 points and 10 rebounds per game. White Sox reliever Danny Farquhar is talking to his doctors and family after undergoing surgery over the weekend to address a ruptured aneurysm. He remains in critical but stable condition, and the team expects him to remain hospitalized for the next few weeks. He passed out in the sixth inning on Friday night after getting two outs against Houston. Additional testing revealed a brain hemorrhage was caused by the aneurysm. Well, in other baseball news, free agent outfielder Melky Cabrera has agreed to a minor league deal with the Indians. The 33-year-old spent last year with the White Sox and the Royals and had a decent year, hitting 285 with 17 homers and 85 RBIs in 156 games. And the Houston Rockets now have command of their Western Conference quarterfinal series following one of the greatest quarters in NBA playoff history. They exploded for 50 points in the third period to cruise past the Timberwolves last night, 119-100. James Harden scored 22 of his 36 points in that quarter. Now, the only team in league playoff history with more points in a quarter was the Lakers, who scored 51 in the fourth quarter before losing to the Pistons back in late March of 1962. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
cloudy with a chance of showers continuing tonight to Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder. Governor Pete Ricketts welcomed representatives of the Boy Scouts of America from across Nebraska to the state capitol on Monday to deliver their 2017 report to the state of Nebraska on scouting's progress. The governor was joined by over 20 scouts representing the Overland Trails, Mid-America, and Cornhusker Councils of the Nebraska Boy Scouts. Ricketts praised the values instilled by Boy Scouts and the goal of becoming an Eagle Scout. Employers are looking for people who are Eagle Scouts, for example, because it really demonstrates that dedication and commitment to getting things done. So you learn so many valuable things in the Scouts. This is really a wonderful thing to be a part of, and so I'm really appreciative of everybody being here today. During the news conference, delegates from the various councils gave reports updating the governor on the state of scouting in Nebraska. The scouts also presented Governor Ricketts with a commemorative coin and the official certificate of the report to the state. County commissioners in Douglas County have approved a big raise in starting pay to entice applicants for guard jobs at the Douglas County Jail. The Douglas County Board backed a contract offer that would raise the jailer's starting pay to $21.25 an hour from $17.35 an hour. That's about a 22% increase. The offer includes a raise of about 3% for current employees. Officials say the offer addresses a staffing shortage that's resulted in mandatory overtime. Union leaders say they'll support the contract offer, which will be voted on by membership within two weeks. A Central Nebraska school district has told the parents of two students killed in a traffic accident that they can't buy space in the school yearbook to honor their children. The Centura Junior Senior High School students, 16-year-old Bailey Jean Packer and 17-year-old Navi Nielsen, died last month after crashing in rural Howard County. Friends and family think the district is being insensitive. Tara Shank, whose family raised Bailey Packer since fourth grade, says they were also upset the district immediately removed the school photographs and drawings done by Bailey. Officials say they're following district policy and their training on student grieving. Superintendent Julie Otero says the expert they're following recommends districts remove photographs and clean out lockers of deceased students because adolescents need finality when grieving. Recent showers temporarily relieved drought conditions in parts of the southwest United States, but dry weather will persist through the summer. The drought has contributed to numerous wildfires. Forecasters say it will last at least through July, with some improvement east of a line from Albuquerque to Denver. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. The chief ag negotiator for the office of the U.S. Trade Representative tries to calm the waters yesterday in Washington, D.C. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Stusky reporting. Speaking to farm broadcasters, chief ag negotiator Greg Dowd said he understands the fear in farm country over recent trade war talks. He first talked about his time in Washington, D.C. over the years. You know, 25 years in Washington, you're of absolutely no value to anyone in the outside world any longer. Uh, but uh, we have, uh, in, the, in that time, we've, we've involved and done a lot of different things on the trade front, uh, had a lot of success in agriculture and trade, and, and today's trade issues are a lot harder. The, uh, the uh, easy things have been done, as they say, the low-hanging fruit have been picked. Uh, but uh, everybody in agriculture understands today we have $140 billion 
and agricultural exports. We, everybody understands that our customers are the 96% of the world's population that lives outside the United States. So it's my time here in uh, this job now, uh, seven weeks on the job at uh, USTR. Uh, I might add, uh, after it took uh, 49 weeks from the time I was offered the job to actually get in the job, uh, but we won't, uh, we won't dwell on that. Um, but it's a pleasure to be here with you this evening. I uh, know many of the folks uh, in this room well, know many of the folks that work on ag issues here in Washington, D.C. very, very well. And, and the great thing is most of you... As tension with China continues to escalate, Dowd points to the Section 301 report as his defense. The report is titled, The Findings on the Investigation into China's Acts, Policies and Practices Related to Technology Transfer, Intellectual Property, and Innovation under the Section 301 of the Trade Act of 1974. Eight months of work by the folks at USTR went into this report. Some 4,000 man hours, I believe, went into looking at this. When you look at the discussion of, of what's going on with regard to China today and the United States and trade, it's, uh, it's really pretty remarkable. Um, this report talks about unfair technology transfer re regimes, discriminatory licensing requirements, government intervention in China outbound investment in U.S. companies, and unauthorized intrusions and do U.S. commercial computer networks and cyber-enabled theft of intellectual property. That's pretty heavy-duty stuff. Pretty serious stuff. Something that you'd say, well, that's, that's above and beyond agriculture. Actually, it's not. Although some of the markets are getting tighter, Dowd says progress is being made all across the world. Well, we've worked on the Korean situation a little bit and, and fortunately we haven't uh, changed anything in agriculture relative to that and the uh, success of the US Korean free trade agreement I think is something that I worked on at the cattlemen I think it's one of the great success stories maybe second best success story of all time relative to NAFTA and NAFTA is obviously something that we are working on right now uh, as you can see the bags under my eyes a little bit uh, there is uh, there are a lot of conversations to be had things are going pretty well uh, but we've got to be able to uh, to wrap that up, uh, particularly with regard to uh, U.S. dairy, poultry, and eggs. Uh, we we have got to get this wrapped up to send a signal to the marketplace. You know, it's it's uh, we've got this handle on things, and we're going to try to move ahead and go forward. This past year, USTR and USDA have resolved issues with South Korea to open the market for poultry for the first time since 2014. We've shipped beef to Brazil for the first time in 13 years. Uh, we're keeping an eye on an effort to export some poultry to India. And uh, we heard the other day that we're going to be able to send a little pork to Argentina for the first time. Uh, so uh, this is a tribute, you know, I think that pork to Argentina thing, I think it was 24 years it took us to make that come together. Uh, that is a testament to how hard the folks in our government work at USDA and USTR on these issues day in and, and day out for years and years and years it takes to get these things done. Um, 
So I, I want to just say, I understand, believe me, I understand that things are tough in farm country right now and with agribusinesses and processors. There's a lot of nervousness out there related to the issue of trade. But know that you've got a group of folks in Washington that get this stuff, whether it's at the career level, uh, USDA folks, uh, Secretary Purdue. I'm on the phone with the new Undersecretary for Trade, Ted McKinney, every single day. We're talking about ways that we can move balls forward. Hopefully balls are not on the ground we got to pick up. Uh, we, we try to keep things moving around. Uh, we've got a lot of things to work on, obviously. Uh, going to be a lot of coordination and consultation with the, all the commodity groups and everybody out there. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just a tremendous honor to be here with you tonight and uh, be a part of this for however short a period of time I'm able to be in this job and do this. There's a lot of work to do, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to get to do it. From Washington, D.C. at the NAFB Washington Watch Conference, I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network. And we're back on the Rural Radio Network as we get a review of the Livestock Futures trade now from Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, it's pretty much a lower day uh, in livestock today. Uh, uh, just a few uh, contracts, the uh, June cattle and the April uh, feeders, the only ones to uh, manage to uh, post a gain for the day. Uh, the rest, uh, under a little bit of pressure, nothing significant. Uh, tried to rally in the cattle, but uh, didn't uh, get too far. And uh, came into some uh, uh, profit-taking, it appeared, uh, um, and uh, it kind of held up the uh, the rally early in the day. And then we spent the day uh, just chopping around back and forth and finishing just moderately lower in the rest of the contracts. Uh, uh, cash, not really anything to speak of. Uh, cutouts were higher once again, so uh, I think that... Uh, it continues to uh, support the market, and that's why it was more of a just an evening up type of day in the cattle and in the feeders. Over in the hogs, uh, cash seemed to be just a bit on the uh, weakish side. Let's just call it steady. wasn't wasn't a disaster by any means, but uh, uh, so we'll just call it cash steady. And then we still have these big premiums uh, with the uh, with the futures. So the uh, index making leaps and bounds, but uh, uh, not quite uh, fast enough. And in the uh, futures, the hog futures came under a little bit of pressure. We had some uh, one triple digit loss. Uh, that being in the June hogs, and the rest uh, just moderately lower. So uh, kind of a mix to lower day today. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. This is the Rural Radio Network. Finding out the status of rural America. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue spoke this morning before the Senate Ag Committee talking about where he sees rural America. And he's pretty proud of 36 of the 50 states he's already visited in his first year in office. I'm going to click off about five more in the next uh, couple of months, so... Uh, we're trying to move around. We realize that most of our constituency lives outside the Beltway here. Your constituency lives there, and we want to hear from them, and that's what we're trying to do. You've had my written remarks, so I'm going to be as brief as I can this morning to give time for your questions. My relative on your committee knows that I had an older sister, and she didn't let me talk much, so I don't need to say a whole lot. But uh, 
<laughs> Nonetheless, uh, uh, it's been an interesting year. I want to thank you again for the uh, the omnibus budget. We're going to do everything at USDA we uh, can to implement that in the intention and the spirit of the, the language and the intentions of Congress to uh, to optimize those uh, those dollars for the, uh, uh, the your constituents out there in agriculture, but also your consumers out there who benefit from a a viable uh, agricultural community. Mr. Chairman, you're fond of saying we're in a rough patch, uh, and I certainly agree with that, but I, I fear that it's moved to the, to the whole farm, uh, not just one patch in the farm. Well, there's a lot of anxiety out there. You've enumerated some of that. And Senator Pat Roberts asked where agriculture sits when it comes to trade. Well, we certainly, since beginning last summer, as we began the, the weekly trade meetings, we've, uh, uh, and the president's uh, 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 comments regarding NAFTA, uh, we early on, uh, shortly after confirmation, were in the Oval Office and uh, uh, heard his comments there, and he relented, uh, uh, thankfully, in, in that. I, I'm hopeful that we will... Uh, see a successful NAFTA conclusion here shortly. Uh, that's never done till it's done, never over till it's over, but I'm hopeful that we will do that. I can tell you from his perspective and the cabinet's perspective, uh, they've heard about uh, the ag, ag economy all year long. They understand very clearly that any type of uh, trade action, and I applaud the president for calling China's hand over their unfair trade practices that you mentioned had been really done since they joined the WTO and early 2000s that uh, they really haven't played by the rules intellectual property theft force transfer many other types of things you you're aware mr chairman that even that's affected agriculture with uh, i think in senator ernst area uh, having some people convicted of actually pl pulling up corn seed and trying to reverse engineering the, the technology that's there agriculture depends on a lot of technology now so our agricultural community has been victims of this uh, this technology transfer and intellectual property theft as well. But the administration knows full well they've got a lot of support in the farm area. They want to be with them, but there's concern that uh, uh, over their livelihood and really, uh, I think, a legitimate anxiety that we've communicated to the president and to, uh, and to the cabinet. We've uh, discussed, obviously, uh, uh, your proposal that we won't trade and we won't open new markets rather than aid. But I think it was my responsibility incumbent on me also to look at any kind of mitigation strategies from a USDA perspective in case those negotiations don't take effect. So, Those comments coming from Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue as he spoke this morning before the Senate Ag Committee. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. One of the notable aspects of today's grains trade was the rally in winter wheat futures toward the last part of the session. And with us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. What were the, I guess, factors behind these these moves? Well, wheat's the, the story here, and I think if, if you remember how we rallied in, in early May, obviously the early March, rather, the, the, the Argentinian story for corn was important, but really it was wheat that had led us kind of out of the abyss. And at this point, uh, you know, a close today, almost 15 off the lows, is, is a very good start. Still 30 below where we were two Sundays ago, so I don't want to get too optimistic. But basis in Kansas City is very strong, uh, and then... Uh, 
you have some problems overseas. I mean, Australia, who had a very subpar crop a year ago, is off to a bad start as well. They've got about 10% of the normal rainfall that they uh, they usually get at this point. So, uh, you know, Asian markets should continue to come to us. And, and I think this China story, uh, there's some talk now that maybe there will be a negotiation uh, trip over there by U.S. representatives has the market in an optimistic mood. Uh, midday, we really saw a big flip between livestock and, and grains. Grains were down over the last couple of days. Livestock had really moved, and then kind of the opposite occurred really the last three hours of the trade today now let's look at corn and soybeans very little fresh news there very little very little i think it's uh you know brazil brazil's the story if you're looking for a spark that's going to move this market you got lots of rainfall maps down in Mato grasso and down in uh in the more coastal coastal areas in the southwest southwestern part of the country they're going to be dry the next two weeks and under 95 degree heat with pollination going on so uh if you're a corn bull that's really what you want to look at as something that can move this trade. I think, uh, you know, I don't know if there's a big surge coming in the shorter run. I think that's going to be reserved for more when the U.S. is going to go into pollination. But I could see the, uh, you know, the beginnings of something starting as we get into delivery here. Uh, if you look back the, you know, the last two years, as I've been mentioning, delivery is a really good time to buy. It's when the other uh, producers are sell out because they have to, and the market tends to come in and, and swoop that up at a little bit of a discount relative to where we've been trading. I have a feeling July I'll see $4 again. At that point, that's the difficult decision for a producer. What do you do if you're in a roll and you're going to store for a little longer? What do you do if we get a 10-cent 10, 10 rally? $4 has been a high that really hasn't been able to crack on a front-month basis for almost two years. And uh, if we if we can see it here in the short term, I think you know then we get a, uh, set up for a bigger move uh, into the summer months. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to Daniels Ag Marketing. Dot com. We also should mention that uh, soybean traders will be looking for signs of additional acres with the weather challenges rolling acres over from wheat and corn, for that matter. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.